Hello, welcome to this episode of Charles Communicable Research. My name's Andy Tattersall and I work at the School of Health and Related Research at the University of Sheffield. Over this series of occasional podcasts, we'll hear from researchers at Shaw and the work they undertake to tackle some of the world's biggest health challenges. We'll also hear from academics within the department and on occasion elsewhere, how they communicate their research and the methods they use. If you want to know more about Shaw, then you can find us on the web at the University of Sheffield and on Twitter at Shaw Sheffield. We're also on Facebook, so feel free to follow us for updates on there. Without further ado, Let's get on with the latest episode. In this episode of the Shaw Communicable Research Podcast, I'm talking to Suzanne Ablard, who works as a research associate within the Health Services Research section at Shaw. Suzanne works in the area of emergency care research, and we discuss the work that she's presently involved in looking at advanced practitioner roles within the NHS. So uh, thanks for joining me today, Suzanne. Thank you for inviting me to talk about my work. So your work is in uh, the research area of urgent and emergency care, and this is something that Shah's very active in. Can you tell us about some of the kind of things your research group have looked into in the past? Yeah, so a lot of work we've looked at is low acuity attendances. So these are people who go to the emergency department with problems that could be reasonably seen and treated in alternative healthcare settings, uh, such as primary care. So we've looked a lot at the reasons why they go to the emergency department and other alternative services we could offer them. We've also looked at uh, the ideal agent and emergency care system. So we got uh, members of the public and healthcare staff to flatten Sheffield's urgent and emergency care system as they understand it and rebuild it from scratch and that produced some really interesting findings. Earlier this year I also looked at a rapid review looking at public health interventions in the ambulance sector. So what they're currently doing in terms of public health interventions and how they could do more public health work in the future. Your current research focuses on new and extended roles within the NHS in the area of emergency care. So can you give me examples of what these kind of roles are? Yes, the type of people who take on these extended roles are paramedics, nurses, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, pharmacists. So traditionally their careers are that they can only go so far clinically and they reach a ceiling where they then have to move on into management roles if they want to continue progressing. However, a proportion of these people uh, want to continue pushing their clinical skills and so advanced roles are quite attractive to these people because it allows them to continue on a clinical trajectory within their careers rather than moving into management roles. So in the emergency department, an example of one of these extended roles is emergency nurse practitioners and so where you find these tend to be in the minors uh, end of the emergency department, seeing, treating, discharging patients, a bit like a junior doctor but just very much focused on those minor patients. One of the new roles your research is looking at are advanced clinical practitioners, so what kind of role is that and what is it that they do? So there's been a lot of controversy around their role identity, um, meaning that advanced clinical practitioners have been implemented in a very ad hoc manner uh, across the country. From now on, best to say I'll um, refer to advanced clinical practitioners as ACPs, uh, because that's how we sort of know them. So in 2017, a multi-professional framework for advanced clinical practice in England was created. And this definition was created to hopefully give some more standardisation and clarity around what their role is. So this framework says that advanced clinical practice is delivered by experienced registered health and care practitioners. So these are people who've been working as a paramedic or a nurse for 10, 15 years, so very experienced in their baseline professions. 
It's a level of practice characterised by a high degree of autonomy and complex decision making. So they're often described as working at the level of an ST3 doctor. This is underpinned by a master's level award or equivalent that encompasses the four pillars which include clinical practice, leadership and management, education and research with demonstration of core capabilities in area specific clinical competence. So this has been designed to give more clarity around uh, the advanced clinical practitioner role. Using the emergency department as an example, so like I said before, the emergency nurse practitioners tend to be focused in the minors end of the emergency department, whereas advanced clinical practitioners have a much broader scope in terms of the patients they see. So they can work in the minors end, the majors end, and recess, working at the level of a middle grade doctor, seeing, treating, discharging patients. Your research uh, is looking at the training experiences of ACPs, so can you explain how ACPs are, are trained? Right, so I'll explain how ACPs are trained within the emergency department because they're doing things slightly differently to other specialties. And other specialties are sort of catching up with the emergency department and implementing similar training models within their departments, um, but they're still a little way behind. So within the emergency department, at a basic level, ACPs are expected to go to university and do a master's in advanced clinical practice. This gives them a basic level of knowledge which they expect to build on within their workplace. So when they get back to their workplace, they, they're supposed to have a consultant ACP lead who acts as their clinical supervisor. So when they're seeing patients, often you find that the ACPs need to um, speak to their supervisor who can sign off their work to say they're clinically competent in that work area and that they're safe practice. We often find as well that good departments have an ACP lead. So this is somebody who's already gone through their ACP training and is practicing at and the level of an ACP and they can act as a mentor for the trainee ACPs that are coming through and can offer them support and someone to look to to know where they're going and what ACPs are capable of. So while they're doing this work-based training they have a portfolio which they tick off and they call them tickets so they have to go out and see patients, get a work-based assessment and then they can collect their ticket to say they're clinically competent in treating that patient uh, presentation. The emergency medicine ACPs tend to have two portfolios. They have one portfolio for the university and another portfolio which the Royal College of Emergency Medicine have created and this is competency specific to the emergency department. And what they do is they collect all these tickets and all this evidence in their portfolio and when they're ready they go to a panel uh, with the Royal College of Emergency Medicine and they go through a credentialing process. And so this panel look at their portfolio and they give them a big tick and say, right, you're competent to practice as an ACP, pretty much the level of a middle grade doctor. And it's kind of that reassurance to consultants within the department that they're all working at this particular level. It's sort of the gold standard that ACPs work towards. Other specialties don't have this credentialing process, but credentialing process is coming in for other specialties. So what are the other drivers for the establishment of these new kind of roles? So demand on the NHS is increasing year on year and at the same time there are significant gaps within the medical workforce with lots of doctors leaving the NHS to pursue alternative careers outside of the NHS. So once trained advanced clinical practitioners should be able to work at the level of a middle grade doctor fill some of the gaps within the middle grade doctor to rotor. However it's really important to note that ACPs aren't there to replace middle grade doctors but rather to complement the workforce. I've spoken to a lot of consultants within uh, medicine and in the emergency department and 
they've provided really positive feedback about how, how ACPs complement the workforce and they bring unique skills that junior doctors don't have. So it's not a replacement, rather an enhancement of the department. So how did you undertake the research into this work? What, it set, what did it set out to achieve? So one of the projects I'm working on is called the ACP North Project. And in this project, we conducted online focus groups to explore the training experience of advanced clinical practitioners working in primary care, secondary care, community-based services and mental health, so not just the emergency department. We particularly wanted to know what's going well with their training and perhaps what's not going so well, so we can improve training experiences for ACPs going forwards. We also explored other issues around their role identity, so how do they identify themselves as an ACP and how do other people around them perceive their role? What did you find out from the interviews with the focus groups that you set up? So the analysis coming to an end, but I can give you some of the key themes, um, give you sort of a flavour of some of the topics that came out. So one of the things that came really apparent was a lack of coherence and structure between the academic training and the clinical training. So what we found, the academic training was quite well structured. You go off to university and you get basic skills and knowledge. But there's that expectation that you go back to your workplace and, and build on those within the workplace to develop your clinical competence. However, in the workplace, the ACPs are reliant on really good supervision uh, from their consultants to give them those learning opportunities and to build up their confidence uh, seeing relatively sick patients. But what we found is that in some departments, the ACPs don't get automatically given a medical consultant supervisor. So already they're at a disadvantage in terms of getting those learning opportunities. In other departments, we found that they had a consultant medical supervisor, but that supervisor was just too busy to properly supervise them. It then hinders their progress in gaining clinical confidence and competence. Another thing we found was knowledge gaps. So this was a particular problem in those mental health advanced clinical practitioners. So the portfolio is quite generic and focuses a lot on gaining physical health competencies. But as you can imagine, in a mental health trust, they don't really focus on physical health. And particularly their supervisors, you know, they're mental health trained professionals. So they're not really focused on dealing with a, a heart attack, for example. So what we're finding is the mental health ACPs are getting frustrated because they can't tick off the clinical competencies expected in the portfolio. And they're relying on going to alternative trusts to get that experience. But due to governance issues, they can't really get placements in other trusts. And also they're fighting against junior doctors and stuff who also need these opportunities. It's not necessarily an issue just for mental health. We're finding that generally the portfolio is quite, not necessarily vague, but not very specialty specific. So there are issues getting certain competencies because that specialty just doesn't see that presentation. There's lots and lots of issues around role identity. So there's still a lot of confusion about the ACP role. Despite definitions being published, NHS trusts still don't really know what they're capable of. So they really are pushing the boundaries, what you know, paramedics and nurses are used to being able to do clinically. And so what this means is that when they get introduced into departments, there's quite a lot of support for them being there but they don't really have a plan about how they can best utilize them so what we find is that nurses might fall back into their baseline profession as a nurse and aren't really using those extended skills because they don't really know how they could use them in their workplace so we're really not using them to their full potential but in the emergency department with this credentialing process that they've got with the world college of emergency medicine we're really hopeful that 
this might give a more standardization so consultants will feel confident that they've met a certain standard and it's been signed off by an external body that said they're capable of working at the level of a middle grade doctor and so with that kind of stamp that they might get used more in with these advanced skills so the final one was aspirations for the future so advanced clinical practitioners often talk about wanting their own governing body so they say that they've moved so far away from their baseline profession um, and really pushed themselves clinically and the GMC so the general medical council don't recognize the advanced practice roles within their council so they, they kind of a bit of a concern that if something went wrong who would protect them and they worry that with the nursing and the paramedic professional bodies that they don't really fully understand their advanced roles so they wonder if they had their own governing body that it might kind of help with their role identity and recognition of their new profession you also worked on a second arc yorkshire and humber project in evaluating health education england southwest nhs training program for trainee emergency care advanced clinical practitioners what methods did you employ as part of this research Yes, yeah, so Health Education in England and the South West are piloting a new emergency care advanced clinical practitioner training programme. And this is to create greater standardisation about the way in which they're trained. And they've asked us to do an independent evaluation because they want to expand the training programme to other emergency departments. And so they've asked us to kind of look at what's working well, what's not working so well. So it's currently being trialled in five emergency departments, but there's plans to expand this further. So I've conducted interviews with ACP's being trained on this new pilot training program and I've also spoken to their consultant ACP leads so these are the people that are supervising them and I've also spoken to the two program leads who are external to the pilot who are overseeing it kind of external to the departments rather than the pilot so they're overseeing how the pilot is going in the different departments and I'm also going to be speaking to ACPs who are not on the pilot it's a bit of a control group to see what their how their experience compares to those on the pilot. So the the training program aims to create a great standardization of uh, advanced care practitioner training between different emergency departments. Currently how varied is the training programs that haven't been standardized? Yes there's an awful lot of variation in the way in which ACPs are being trained and that was really apparent in the ACP North project. We kind of theorised that maybe one of the reasons for the lack of standardisation comes back to their role identity. So NHS Trust like the idea of having an ACP but we're not really sure what they're capable of doing and so this leads to a lot of confusion about well what can they do in the departments and how should they best be trained. There is no kind of blueprint to say right this is how ACP should be trained yet I'm hopeful that in the future this is going to get, we're going to get greater standardisation. You're seeing this in emergency departments and this is slowly being rolled out to other specialties. So I'm hopeful for the future that things will become more standardised, but we're still a long way away from it at the moment. Uh, I'm sure that a, a large piece of work like this is not without its uh, challenges. So what's been the biggest ones that you've faced? Yeah, so the biggest challenge has been the COVID-19 pandemic. We can't shy away from it. It's still there. <laughs> Um, so during this time face-to-face qualitative research has been paused and ordinarily I would have gone into hospital sites and would have really built up a rapport with the people that I want to speak to um, but I haven't been able to do that so all the interviews and focus groups I've been doing have moved online. I don't think this has hindered the quality of the data I've collected I think people are still being very open talking to me in this format but what I really struggled with was the recruitment so I've been having to rely on email to get access to these people. Email's really easy to ignore or to forget to respond to. So 
recruitment was very slow to begin with so I've had to really rely on my gatekeepers who know these people personally to get access to them and speak to them on my behalf in person and since I've my gatekeepers got more involved then my recruitment's picked up but it has been a slow start slowly got better but (laughs) on a positive side what are the benefits to this uniform approach to training so in theory ACP should have a more positive experience for with regards to their training compared to ACPs on a less structured programme. They should have clearer goals and objectives with regards to their training, particularly where the end point is. So we find a- ACPs on a less structured training programme in training forever. They never really stop. Whereas, for example, in the emergency department, because they've got credentialing, there's almost an expectation in three to five years you'd be ready to credential, and it kind of gives them a, a goal to work towards. Also, in a more structured training programme, particularly in the Southwest Pilot, what we're finding is that supervision and support is really, really important. And so in the pilot in the Southwest, they have a ACP credentialed lead. So this is somebody who has been through the Royal College of Emergency Medicine credentialing process. They know what it's like to go through it. So when the trainees are coming in, they can look up to that person and ask questions about how best to fill in the portfolio, what they need to prove their evidence. So... Um, that support really helps them with that transition into the role and also they have to have a consultant clinical lead and they the Royal College of Medicine gives the consultant clinical lead training in how best to support the ACPs going forward so that support really helps them moving forward through their training because we find it's a massive transition moving from a nursing or paramedic role into an ACP role. You're now becoming the decision maker. You're having to make those plans and make safe decisions. And that's something that they haven't necessarily done in the past. And so having those support structures is just key to help them move through their training and building confidence as, as, as alongside their clinical competence. I want to thank you for your time. Good luck with future research and, and, and thanks, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for letting me talk about um, my research.